welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Kennedy, and I'm here to help you become the very best version of yourself. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Genoa Van Keekum. You guys have probably heard me talk about the Momentum Lifestyle uh, group that I've been a part of over the past 12, 12 months or so. Um, the boys, you know, the three main coaches there, Genoa, Blake and Dylan. We've had Dylan on the show before. Today, I'm fortunate to be joined by Genoa to talk us through the world of meditation, which um, is a super popular topic at the moment and uh, a very useful tool, particularly at this day and age with COVID and, and the rest of it. So I'm really excited about today's chat. So Genoa, welcome to the, to the podcast, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Man, I'm glad we uh, got a session in. So am I, man. I think, I think today's episode will be super valuable. Um, obviously, I've taken a shitload of value from working with you boys, um, as I said, over the past kind of 12, 12 months, I think it's roughly been um, on and off, mm. which has been fantastic. And I just think there's so many little gems that we can touch on today that will help a lot of people out. So, mate, before we get stuck into the meat of it with um, the meditation side of things, do you want to give the listeners a bit of an idea of, um, I guess, your background and how you eventually kind of stepped into this world of, um, you know, personal development and even meditation in the first place? Because um, I know it wasn't always part of your your daily routine. <laughs> yeah, man, it's it's funny when I think back to how I used to operate and just my view on the whole world of meditation and personal development. So, prior, you know, it wasn't till like late twenties that I kind of opened my mind up to doing any kind of the work of myself. So pre becoming sort of meditation uh, teacher and, and mindset uh, coach, I, I was in, I spent a lot of time working in the alcohol industry and my lifestyle was pretty, uh, pretty intense. You can imagine I was, you know, I worked hard, but also played hard. Yep. And kind of tied, and so, tied in perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like just doing some extra research over the weekend. uh, (laughs) That's what it was all all about, you know. (laughs) And um, but also, I was so like very unaware and ego driven. So I was like, nah, my I knew everything was my way. You know, if someone came in and said, oh, you know, personal development or meditation, like fuck off, like Mm -hmm. that's not my that's weird woo woo shit. That was just my opinion on it. And but at the same time, you know, I experience pretty bad anxiety. I didn't actually realize I had anxiety. I didn't, I didn't click onto the fact that feeling like I wanted to vomit, you know, before going on a date or big game. I remember when I was in like high school uh, and in my early twenties, I'd played, you know, I was, I was a good runner and yeah. I played footy. And so before big games or before a sprint, I'd feel like I wanted to vomit sometimes mm-hmm. and, you know, really impacted my performance. But that was just, in my mind, that was normal. And no one knew about it. I found a way to like, I vomit my mouth and I was put my, my mouth guard in or whatever, you know, whatever it was yeah. and just pushed through. And then I, when I moved into the, the corporate sort of world, I was, as I mentioned, a pretty full on in terms of the work hard, play hard, but also I couldn't go to sleep without having my TV on in the background. And I was very high energy and aggressive and, and reactive. And that's kind of how I operate. And that was just what I thought life was. Right. Mm. And you, you just push through and anything outside of the realm of what I understood and knew wasn't open to it. Yeah. And that was how I I began. And it's, and it took me a while to finally be open to doing the work on myself. Cause part of that meant that 
maybe I didn't have my shit sorted. Maybe I didn't have all the answers because you know, yeah. when you're in that, that stage, accepting the fact that things aren't yeah. probably quite as they seem. Yeah. And I mean, if anyone honestly thinks they've got all their shit sorted, their heads up their ass, like mm. it's not true. And it doesn't mean you're weak or broken. It means you're a human being. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I finally started to land. I was like, it's okay to be like, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm not performing my best. Uh, and so it was what sort of got me across the line and that transition to being this non-believer, skeptical, anti doing the work to now being open to it was I just met, I met some people in actually funny enough, like some clients of mine who I deemed as normal. So yeah, yeah my <laughs> idea of normal was they still yeah. ate meat and they drank alcohol and they were like creative and cool. And the guy was a surfer and um, the, the, the um, Jackie ended up becoming a, a teacher and a good friend of mine. She like, had a PR company and all this stuff. And I was like, they're in fashion. And I was like, Oh, they're cool, yeah. normal people. And they were quite open about the fact that they meditated and it wasn't like this weird thing. They kept quiet in a dark corner. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what we do. And it helps me perform. And I remember the guy, he said to me, he was in his sixties at that point, Greg. And he, uh, he'd been a, at one point he was in the, the top, you know, group of Australian chefs and he was a bit of a hard ass and all the rest. And he, and he, and he goes, mate, I just wish I'd learned this when I was younger. And that kind of just landed with me. I was like, cause mm-hmm. I really respected him cause he has a bit of a hard ass, but also it's a good bloke. And I was like, ah, oh, this guy's talking about meditation in, in, in this way. Yeah. And then I started looking into performance and I was going through a Tim Ferriss phase, right? Okay. So yeah. Tim Ferriss podcast. Yep. And there was just a theme was there. Mm-hmm. Everyone who was involved in whether it's like big wave surfers or, you know, hedge fund managers or cryptocurrency or, um, you know, weightlifter, fucking Schwarzenegger, all these people yeah. that he, um, that he interviewed, they all used meditation and mindfulness in their routine to help them perform. And I was like, there's a common thread here. And that was what kind of the, 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 the kicker for me to finally open my mind and then mm. actually learn. And that's sort of what the transition was. Yeah. Success leaves clues, right? Um, there's, there's, there's a bunch of, um, things unpack out of that. I think the first one you mentioned, which is, which is super important is, um, I think, I think who, who did I hear say it might've been Jay Shetty once said something like, you know, those that, um, that don't have the time or, or, um, don't, don't believe in the meditation, the ones that need it the most. Um, you know, it's typical where like, like those that, that can't see it are often the ones that really do, that will benefit from it the most if they give it a chance. But on the other hand, something that I've found, particularly once I started to meditate and got really uh, stuck into personal development and, and self-improvement is you can't push it on other people. It's got to be their decision, regardless of yeah. how close they are or regardless of how much they need it or how obvious it is to you that they need it. If you push it on them and they're not open or ready for it, it's not going to be effective and they're just not going to want to do it, which I think is you know, the benefit of things like this, like the podcasting, the social media content, and even, you know, I'm sure when you started to dive into meditation and personal development, everyone around you would have noticed a big difference in lifestyle change and, um, you know, even maybe even personality or the way you respond to certain things, which is often the best way, just leading by example, um, to, to get others to give it a bit of a try. So, you know, I've been fortunate to have a few people on the podcast where we've touched on meditation and something I always ask is, you know, how, what was your first experience with meditation? And, you know, second to that, what would you recommend for someone who's tuned in at the moment who is in that kind of mindset of maybe wanting to try it, but not knowing where to, to first start? Yeah. So 
my first experience of meditation was I, I learned a technique called Vedic meditation, which is working with a mantra. Okay. And I remember, I still remember like, like, like waiting to, to go learn. And I had to bring these like flowers and fruits part of the ceremony. I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck am I doing? Like if a mate <laughs> sees me here, like this is so <laughs> random, but I, I did it and I sat through it and I learned and it was the best thing I ever did. I was like, mm. so I was just sitting there and I was closing my eyes and I was like, I can't control my mind. And I can't clear my thoughts. And she's like, that's not what it's about. And I was like, huh? Like, is it meditation meant to be controlling and clearing your mind? And she's like, no. This technique is more around helping the body to relax mm-hmm. and de-excite so it can remove the buildup of stress and tension fatigue out of the system. And I was like, oh, this is not what I thought it was. Yep. And so for me, it was a little bit of confusion in getting my head around what meditation actually meant because there are lots of different types that are out there, which is, I think, what a lot of people struggle with. That is. That so, seems to be a pretty common misconception, and that was something that I struggled with: is almost thinking that there was a, a right or wrong way to meditate, mm. or like you almost either succeeded or you didn't succeed in the podcast, in the um, meditation. Sorry, similar to like what my mindset would have been with almost everything else, but it is almost the opposite of that. It was like yeah. I would finish the meditation and go, "Oh well, fuck, that was a waste of time because I, I didn't switch off, or I spent majority of the time thinking about this, or so it didn't work." But mm. it wasn't until later on that I kind of figured out that that's that not the case. And, and it's okay to have these you know, thoughts come up. It's, it's more so about just recognizing them and letting them go. Mm. It's a, that's one of the biggest things I think people struggle with. And I also did with that in that first little bit. I was like, because a lot of people will regurgitate what monks and old yogis have said. And mm. monks and yogis who are the fundamental teachers of meditation, they don't live like us they probably can clear their thoughts of the day and they can contemplate for hours on end. And so a lot of people are going around and just, you know, they listen to a teacher, they say the same thing, but it's not relevant to how we operate now. And part of the process in the style that I, styles that I work with are actually, they use thoughts as part of the process because trying to get your, you know, your mind to stop thinking is like trying to get your heart to stop beating. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And it's actually a valuable part of the process and a meditation where you sit there and you feel uncomfortable and you want to get out of it and you keep thinking and you get frustrated. That is actually doing some good work and processing for you. If you're sitting there with your eyes closed and you yeah. feel uncomfortable and like you want to get out and all the rest, that's, well, that's it. Because you know? usually like the, the, the most common thing is to, well, the most natural thing is as soon as you feel uncomfortable, as soon as you have these thoughts that, yeah. that you aren't happy with or that don't sit right, you do whatever you can to avoid it, whether it is, correct, you know, like I said, maybe sleeping with a TV on, um, mm. going out drinking, drugs, whatever it may be. We often don't sit with the, the negativity because we don't want to face it. But that, that's the beauty of or the hard part, I guess, of the meditation, which once you can get past that hump, that's when all the good shit seems to happen. Yeah, we love that numbing and, and escapism. That's how we deal with feeling and discomfort. And unfortunately that doesn't allow our bodies to process it. So for our bodies to process feeling emotions, even some trauma, we actually have to feel it. And this Mm -hmm. is where a lot of us go. We try to think our way through everything, which is, which causes most of our mental anguish trying to solve. We can't solve everything in our minds as we, as I'm sure you you know, Mm -hmm. and part of the process is actually to sit there and allow yourself to feel it and not let the mind go off and run on its negative tangents and create more stories and, and, and bullshit around it. And so for the first, moving back to the start of the question was around what was my first experience with yeah. it. The first few weeks of me, I was really tired. I was exhausted. And I was like, what the hell's going on? I remember talking to my teacher and I was like, so this meditation is going to be energized and clear and focused and all the rest. He goes, I'm like, I'm wrecked. And she's yeah. like, okay, tell me about the last 10 years of your life. And I was like, party hard, worked hard, 
missing sleep, was still trained hard. My body was under it. I would push through and she goes, so your body's fatigued. You don't make that back up by one night of, you know, you have a few big blowouts and then you get up in the morning and train after a big blowout and all the rest. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. And she goes, your body doesn't recover from one night of, you know, 10 hours sleep because you're wrecked. You don't, you're not back to normal then. Your body's carried that debt mm-hmm. and you hold on to that and you just push through and push through until a point where you break or it manifests into a disease, a sickness, anxiety, whatever it is, a panic attack. She goes, so what your body's doing now is it's actually now getting the, the time to start working through that accumulation of fatigue in your system. And so mm-hmm. my body was working through the fatigue. So the first part of that was me feeling the fatigue that I'd pushed through for so long. And I was like, ah, oh. and then once I moved through it, mm-hmm. then I up-leveled, then my energy level shift. Then I was able to focus better. I was more, more creative in my awareness around how I operated and how I yeah. responded to things, things that triggered me, how much of an arse I actually could be to people. All that stuff started to really shift. Yeah. And that was that interesting phase for me of understanding what the process of meditation can look like, i.e. it's not this beautiful, blissful state all the time. Yeah. You sit there with no thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the interesting you know, process after that was it was other people that then started to notice the shifts in me. Yep. Right. So after a while, you you normalize, right? So say even in you, right? Say you, you sit at you know, 80 kgs and then you, you bulk up and you, you know, you pump on 85 to 90. You're like, wow, I'm looking good. Rah, rah. After a while that normalizes. And that's just now how you, you don't notice the difference anymore. That's just yeah, we adapt. Right. Mm-hmm. And similar to how your mind and body works. So after a while I was like, Oh, I think it stopped working. And then I remember asking like my parents and, and friends, they're like, I was like, do you think there's, there's a difference to me? And they're yeah, like, yeah. Oh yeah, there is. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. got it. I got it. No, no, yeah. no more need to be said. Yeah. Uh, and my whole experience of life changed my decision-making, um, the internal dialogue with myself, anxiety is non-existent for me anymore. Pretty much. I sleep like a baby, you know, I recover from the best. I did a funny post yesterday cause it's, I just turned 36 yesterday and I found a photo of me on my 30th. And then I remember someone said to me when I first started to delve into the work and be yeah. heavily into meditation, they're like, take a photo of yourself now and then take a photo of yourself in five or 10 years time. And I did it and I was like, wow, yeah. <laughs> you look better, fresher, yeah. younger. I was like, Ooh. yeah. so the changes really start adding up when you stay consistent with it. Yeah. Uh, and so not only personally, but for how I interact with others as well. You said your birthday yesterday. Mm. Happy birthday for yesterday. I feel like an asshole now. <laughs> oh, mate. I <laughs> it was a good day, hey. mate. Yeah. <laughs> I, was looking, I was waiting for your message. I was like, where is it? Where is, where is uh, I think, uh, I think the, the phone lines are down here, actually. I did send <laughs> one, but it didn't come through. Um, a word you use there, awareness. Um, that's something mm. that I, you know, the, I want to touch on um, in a second, like the other kind of variants of, of the meditation that you can dive down as well. But um, awareness for me lately has been something that's coming up a lot in the meditations I'm doing. I, I tend to do kind of like guided meditations or, you know, transcendental meditations and mm. the, the word and the, the focus on awareness seems to be quite big, which is something super interesting and, and something that probably a lot of people never really put any attention towards because it, we are, I, I find we're just on autopilot. Even now, like when I'm doing this work, I am trying to meditate and journal and stuff every day. It's hard not to find yourself on autopilot mentally and physically just doing the same things day in, day out, having the same thoughts. And I think it's, uh, might've been Dr. Joe Dispenza 
speaks a lot about how, you know, when we do have the same thoughts and the same movements every day, it's, you can see how we create the, you know, those thoughts create um, our reality. So aside from like the, the mantra meditation, is there any other um, kinds that you've tried or that, that you would recommend? Is, is the mantra the one that, that you found the most benefit from? Mm, so I tend to break meditation into two sort of categories. And so there's one category, which I, I explain as directive styles of meditation where there's a level of effort. Mm-hmm. So anything where you're like concentrating hard on something, we're trying to focus on a flame or a part of the body. Uh, maybe you're visualizing something where you're trying to create yeah. a mental, mental picture like a manifestation type. Thing. Yeah. 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 Or uh, even just like you're, you're beautiful, you're out in the jungle and there's a beautiful stream and those kind of visualizations to create a, mm-hmm. um, a mental construct to have a, uh, physical experience from that, which is often uh, relaxation. Uh, things like contemplation, where you might contemplate or place some awareness on the thoughts or parts of the body. So, you know, are these thoughts serving me? You know, what are they doing? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, even things like body scans. Yep. And which obviously you would, you know, that's what we did every every session before our momentum workshops. And these types of uh, techniques, most of them tend to stem from the Buddhist philosophy and tie into the mindfulness styles of, of, of meditation and they're great for shifting like a state in the now. So if mm-hmm. you're feeling frenetic, anxious, overwhelmed, whatever it is, they're great little techniques that you can drop into for a few minutes. Yep. All the apps use a shade or combination of these styles, right? If you've used the apps, they'll sort of guide you through a mixture of some of those processes and they're really good for what I say is like calming you in the now. Yep. Now to really see, you know, an altered state, right now to really see an altered trait as a byproduct of these styles of meditation you need to do a lot of it you know and if you've heard of a technique called vipassana where you go away for 10 days and it's silent you meditate for hours a day you can have profound experiences but you need to do a lot of it because they were techniques that monks used they've pretty much taken techniques used for thousands of years by monks and take them to like five minute two minute ten minute little little snippets so we can Mm. try to integrate it into our worlds and they can be great but what i experience personally and what i find a lot of my students experience they try the apps and these styles like yeah they're they were okay but now i feel like i'm just sort of i'd fall off the wagon i don't really feel like they're doing much anymore or whatever it is and so they're almost like the gateway drug to meditation like yeah they're easy they're cheap they're ones you can dabble into they're quick to do and they're great tools to have. So I use them as like the toolkit. So Almost like an people, they, introduction. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they yeah, yeah. Right? And they're great tools to have mm-hmm. when you're feeling yeah, at a point in time. Now, what I specialize in falls under the non-directive uh, bracket. And yep. this is things like TM, so transcendental and invadic. Now, these are often described as concentration styles of meditation, uh, which is confusing because while you are working with a mantra, and a mantra in this case isn't a, it's not an affirmation. There's no meaning behind it. Yep. It's just a sound vibration. And, and the idea is that you just sort of, you, you say this word in your mind, but you're not concentrating or chanting or saying a certain way. It's kind of this light uh, awareness that you place on the mantra as almost like a little soft anchor that whenever you, you know, disappear into thought, you come, just back, sort of to come back to. Yeah, yeah. But you're also part of the process is to sometimes you forget the mantra. You just sort of in that state of, relaxation and flow and the whole idea of these styles of technique are that you by de-exciting the mind in terms of when the mantra is just being whispered in your mind because there's no meaning you're not trying to visualize something you're not trying to contemplate something you're not trying to concentrate and focus on one single thing mm-hmm. when you're 
mind is able just to engage in this sound with no meaning, no logical explanation, it actually just for a moment in time, it's able to go past the relative thinking, which is the doing, solving problems, the worry, all the rest. And when it does that, the mind actually can de-excite because it stopped doing. It's like subconscious oh. type mind. Yeah, you go beyond you yeah. know, the relative blah, 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 blah. And when that happens, because the mind and body are connected, they're, they're yeah. more connected, they're one. Yeah. And so when the mind de-excites, the body does too. Mm-hmm. And so that's deep, deep rest for the body. Now, the most efficient way for the body to uh, replenish fatigue, process stress and tension is deep rest. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's happening in this style of, of technique. And so this technique, I would argue, is better for helping the body to release the old buildup of stress and fatigue from the past. Okay. That makes sense. So if you yeah, look yeah. at any of Joe Dispenza stuff, right, yep. it's all past stuff that we carry, yep. which manifests into our current issues. Reality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, reality. And so by consistently doing a practice like that every day, your body's just relieving stress tension, mm-hmm. fatigue every day as you go. And yep. the byproduct of that is things like increased mindfulness, increased yep. awareness, you know, better focus, you know, more clarity, more creativity. And mm-hmm. by doing it regularly, it creates an altered uh, trait. Now, this, these techniques were designed in the 50s by an Indian physicist and they're designed for the house. They're designed for us. They're not the exact techniques that monks and, and yogis use for the last 5,000 years, they've tried to weave into our way of living. It was actually created by a yogi who understood physics and had a better grasp on modern day living. And he came to yeah. California in the 60s and rolled it out. And so there, there's quite a difference actually in, this two, in the two styles. So mm-hmm. what I work with using that sort of the mantra is that a daily practice you just do regardless that is helping to just help that body do the extra heavy lifting yeah yeah dealing with day-to-day uh stress that we all experience so that was kind of as a rough as quick as i could um explanation of how i try to separate the styles yeah and because the next thing i wanted to touch on was you know the length of a of a meditation um something that that comes up quite often is you know is a five-minute meditation on an app like Headspace enough to really see any benefit. I was listening to a podcast the other day where the host was talking about it's like when you meet meet someone new that you fall in love with or whatever and, and imagine you got to spend five minutes a day with them for a month. You still, at the end of the month, would be very unsure or very... Um, you'd want to know a lot more about them and you wouldn't have actually got to know them that well. Whereas if you spent a full week together or a full day together, it's going to be a different story. So he touched on things like... Or like going and doing like a meditation retreat or going and doing a full day um, uh, course or whatever on meditation and then maybe going back to like a, a five minutes or 10 minutes a day and then the benefit that you can have from that big, like immersing yourself in meditation at the beginning can can be profound. Is Have you found in terms of people that are just starting out whether there is enough benefit from doing it for five to 10 minutes a day? Look, it's there is, but it's real marginal. So I really, I rate meditation. I really compare it to exercise. Mm-hmm. Do you think doing five or 10 minutes of exercise a day is going to be a real impact? It's better than none. Better than none. Yeah. But really, but you're not going to see the results you potentially could if you were doing it properly. Right. Yeah. 
it's a prior, it's a priority thing. Mm-hmm. People often like, oh, I'm too busy. Like, no, you're not. It's a priority. Yeah. I, I teach single mums who have own own businesses. You can create time priority for what you deem as valuable to, to you. Uh, and so I would argue that to really start seeing some shifts, you'd want to be doing in total 20 to 40 minutes a day. That could be split. So it could yep. be like two 10 minute sessions, okay. two 15 minute sessions, two 20 yep. minute sessions, maybe one 20 minute session. If that's all you've got, that'd probably be the minimal I'd, I'd want to be doing for really start seeing some shifts. Now, 20 minutes is like what a percent of your day. It's not much, mm. uh, but the byproduct of there outweighs the investment. There's ROI in there. Yeah, and yeah. So in that, in that way, yeah, dip your toe in the water, like five minutes is better than none. 10 minutes is better than none. Yeah. But it depends. Don't do five the minutes that you're after. every now and then and then complain because it's not working, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that's my answer to, to that one. With the clients that you've worked with, what have been some of the major areas of benefit that you've seen in their day-to-day life? Um, aside from, I guess, decluttering the mind and relaxing, but in terms of actual um, measurable progress or whether it is um, performance at work, whether it is, you know, energy levels, whatever it may be, what, what are the main things that you've kind of picked up on? The biggest one by far is that a lot of people uh, come initially and there's big issues with things like anxiety mm-hmm. and direction and, and, and confidence and a lot of the negative thinking, which they'll hold you back. Right. And yep. so one of the, probably the biggest byproducts is that people find that anxiety just falls away. And that as a byproduct also is going to help your, like your focus, yeah. your confidence for a lot of people productivity and things like productivity, that. productivity well, yeah. right when you're not indecisive and all around you get stuff done mm-hmm. uh, another big one is energy levels so people find they've got more energy better sleep uh, another one is creativity which yep. is also one that i find like yep. when you because when you're in survival mode which is stress you know response you're not creative yeah. you're not expansive yeah you're not happy. You're looking for negatives. You're looking for threats. Mm-hmm. And so they're, sort of the, they're probably the, the, the main ones. Often people as well uh, find that they, their decision-making shifts, they become sharper, but they also start making decisions that are more in line with where they want to go. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, Align with their less, purpose type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because a lot more clarity on where, where they actually want to go. Mm-hmm. And if you're, cause if you're tired and you're fatigued and you're anxious you're not very confident, you will make decisions that are just based on old behavior. Yeah. You're an autopilot, you're gonna go back to the old. Yeah. Now, if you're if you are not running fatigued, stressed, anxious, negative, you're able to see a lot more expansively mm-hmm. and you're able to challenge old ways of being and old ways of thinking. And so I've, for a lot of people as well, it's that the big one I've noticed also is around finding a level of uh, like confidence in their in their future and be like yeah now i've got a bit more drive and yeah, where i'm real, going real and clarity I'm, yeah yeah and less reactivity as well like they're like okay. things just don't bother me as much as they used to like i used to really get fucked off when this yeah. happened now i'm like it doesn't charge me as much so a lot less energy is wasted on you know just ridiculous things each day Aside from the, you know, potentially the, the not meditating long enough to see the full benefit, is there any other um, common mistakes that you, you see people make, you know, whether it's, you know, something that I've been trying to, to get a, like figure out lately is whether or not there's a, um, 
like a certain place in, in the apartment where I should sit and meditate every single day or whether it can be done anywhere. Like mm-hmm. is there certain things like kind of like general rules that you try and get your um, clients or those that you like to teach to, to follow to get the most out of it? One of the biggest things actually is getting, getting rid of the idea that you need to have a calm, quiet, beautiful space to meditate because mm. that just creates barriers. Because if you don't, if you forget your meditation cushion or you forget, you know, <laughs> your incense or you're like, oh, yeah. this is too loud, there's always going to be excuses anyway. We're going to yeah. resist this kind of stuff. So one of the biggest things is not to get too caught up in having this perfect, serene environment because that's not life. Yep. And the way that I teach is designed and I work, the meditation style that I work with in particular is designed to work no matter if there's someone next door playing loud music or whether you're in an office or on a park bench or in, parked in a car park in your car. I used to maintain the bus all the time. So one of the, the biggest things actually is to get rid of the idea of the perfect way to meditate yep. and that it's meant to be beautiful and blissful yep. and be okay with the discomfort and the resistance and the grindy process of it and yeah. to lean into that more because that is literally what a lot of meditation will bring up for you. Yeah, uh, well, I guess that's yeah, yeah. one of the biggest ones. In the end of the day, like it's 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 very rarely going to be the case in real life as well. Like if you're trying to lean on that ability to be able to become present and switch off, if you're in a, your day to day job and things are chaotic, you can't exactly just tell everyone to shut the fuck up and turn all the lights yeah. off and burn some incense so you can so you can meditate. It's not going to happen that way, is it? Yeah, it, it's 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 not. And I also try to encourage people when they start to meditate to reframe what meditation is as in it's not this weird woo woo thing. That means you've kind of lost your edge. Yep. You're doing, you're meditating because you're a forward, you're in the small percentile of people that are here to perform at their best. And they don't give a fuck what people think. Yeah. Like, look at scientific research. Most forward thinkers and open-minded people and high performers, they meditate. They don't give a shit what their colleagues thinking or their friends giving them, you know, shit for closing their eyes in a corner mm. uh, and really shift that. Like, what are you, what are you here to care about? What are you here to do in the world? to worry about someone who doesn't understand what you're doing and maybe passes judgment that way, or you're here to be the best that you can be yeah. by investing time in things that we know work. Uh, that's, that's another thing just around shifting your mindset around what meditation actually is. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that you pair with the meditation? Um, like, you know, obviously common things would be things like journaling or um, daily goal setting, gratitude lists and things like that. Um, do you think it's essential to have something else that pairs on with that to give yourself almost some form of intention to be focused on or, or to work towards in the meditation or, or is the meditation by itself a perfect place to start or, or, or can be just as effective without the, the extras like the journaling paired with it? So if that makes sense. Probably, I don't know if that, yeah. I ramble a shitload there, but yeah, I, I understand. I believe so. I'll answer what I think your question was, and one part of this could be to create a why behind why you're meditating in terms of motivations. There's one mm. component of it. So why are you meditating? Just like why are you exercising? Yeah. So there's no underlying why and drive because you don't always wake up motivated. Yeah. You wake up sometimes. You're like, can't be bothered, or you're a bit tired, or you're hungover, which is normal, and. If you don't have a, a why, a bigger why, you're going to wake up and be like, oh, I can't bother today. Yeah. And so that's one thing I find really important is to like, what does your world look like as a byproduct of you meditating every day? And this is, yeah. this is your why. Now, in terms of adding specific activities onto it, if you've got space for that, yeah. Uh, what mistakes some people can make is they go into it and then try to do too much all at once and then they do nothing. Yeah. So, you know, if... 
if you're nailing like 10, 15 minutes twice a day meditation, then maybe add on like do mm. like a page of journaling afterwards. Yeah. Do two minutes of gratitude. Yeah. Uh, it's a really powerful time to add in things afterwards and uh, like do your habit stack. Uh, but in terms of an intention, yes, in, in the sense of why to help you help motivate you when motivation is not there. Uh, but otherwise, any you know, visualization, all that kind of stuff can be really powerful to do right after meditation as, as, yeah. as well as little add-ons. Yeah. Do you find, um, you know, I often talk to my clients in particular about you're better off having, a, you know, a good or a pretty good month um, more so than having the perfect week and then doing fuck all for the next three weeks. Yeah. In terms of meditation, how important is it to have that consistency throughout the week or throughout the month more so than just doing a few good days here and there? Like, can you still get the benefit of maybe meditating three or four days a week? Or do you think it's more important to, even if you have a shitty session a um, couple of days a week to get it done every single day? The way I frame it is <clears throat> you use this technique, not when you're feeling, you know, when you break, use it as a preventative before prevent you break. It, yeah. Right. A lot of people, unfortunately, they wait till they're like, all right, I'm having panic attacks. I can't focus anymore. I'm insomniac. I'm depressed. I've got anxiety, whatever it is. And they wait and then they come and learn to meditate. Yeah. So if you're doing the work on this daily, it's just like waiting to, you know, 20 kilos overweight to go, okay, now I'm going to go exercise. It's like, mm -hmm. do it now and set yourself up now. So you're in the best position uh, moving forward to not experience those things. And that comes from consistency. Yeah. So, I mean, three or four days a week is great. It mm. all it all depends on. You made a really good point there around, you know, the perfect week and strive for too much. So if you've never meditated before, three to four days a week is excellent. Yeah. Right? yeah. If you've been meditating for three or four days a week for a few months, what's next? Maybe it's yeah. five or six. Maybe yeah. it's every day. Maybe it's twice a day. So what I'd always say is like, where can from wherever you're at, what's a few percent on top of that look like, and and mm -hmm. set targets that way. Mm. Uh, but you want to be working towards a level of consistency. So you'd, you'd be hoping for every day as a morning routine, or maybe it's Monday to Friday and then your weekends, you, cause they're a bit not as routine. They drop off for a lot of yeah. people. Um, so yeah, consistency is, is ideal. It was the, the name of that silent meditation retreat. Is that, was it Vipassana? Yeah. Insight. Medita yeah. Vipassana. Curious. Have you done, have you done one of those before? No, I might've got a list up here. There's a few that you got to, on wait lists. So, um, so run us through, run us through like what the, like what the, um, <laughs> like what it actually involves. So it's 10 days, yeah. is it? So you can do different lengths of time. Sometimes yeah. there's three, seven, 10, and you have to complete one of them often to go to the next level, which is a little so longer. Like, yeah. yeah. And the whole concept here is the personal meaning insight. So around insight awareness. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, they find they have pretty profound, moments of realization through the process yeah and so what it is you go in there and you have to hand in your phone no journaling no nothing no eye contact no speaking and so you literally sounds amazing huh yeah. so you you, <laughs> you go in there it's because all these things they they're escapism tools and they're numbing tools and yeah. they're doing tools right so when you allow yourself just to be with just you that's when things get uncomfortable but also some amazing things can happen. Yep. So each day you'd wake up four, five, six in the morning and you'd meditate for a few hours and you'd have some food. So you handle that, handle that stuff in day one and then you don't yep. touch any of it again until you leave? Right, till you're out. Right. So throughout the, that, this is the, 
there are slight versions that are not, aren't quite as staunch. Yeah. For example, uh, that you, you know, you, cause the idea is when you're meditating, you're sitting down in this, everyone's sitting in this room and you're sitting down meditating for hours on end. And they're using a combination of concentration and contemplation techniques. So you probably focus on the end of your lip or something like that. Yeah. And you're literally doing it for hours, 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 hours. And then you get up and you go eat, but you're not even meant to make eye contact with people. There's no interaction, no smiling, no conversation. It's just you being with yourself. Right. And what I've, uh, the, the most common feedback I get is the first sort of five to seven days are extremely difficult. And then often you have this moment where you sort of finally come to peace with just going through what you're experiencing and then people can have some pretty profound uh, experiences. And so that is an example of something you can come out of as an intense experience and it can be pretty, it's a peak experience. Yeah. Right? And you're like, wow. And uh, so maybe like one of them a year, would be pretty amazing. If that's what you're into. Uh, and yeah. so, yeah, yeah, it's, that's one of the extre- more extreme styles that, that you can... Um, and would that type of practice be for someone who is quite experienced like yourself in meditation? Could you go in completely raw mm-hmm. and do something like this and still see those benefits? Or do you reckon it'd just break, it'd just break someone who wasn't used to that type of... Depends. Thing? People go in there totally raw. A lot of people go there... What I tend to hear is there tend to be a lot of people who are going through like some kind of rehab go to these sort of places, but they actually should do a psychological test to make sure that you can handle the experience. (laughs) So I would probably recommend having some experience meditation beforehand. And is it Uh, meant to be like, so again, if if you have it and you're really feeling called to it and yeah. So is that uh, like, I, I I haven't done either. So I, I wouldn't know, but like, is the experience meant to be something similar to like a psychedelic experience or is it just, or is it different? Well, it, it can be. So what a lot of the psychedelics are doing is they're like almost like a steroid and, and fast tracking your experience of going beyond like the relative yeah. thinking yeah. and the ego and the doing. Right. Yeah. And so you're experiencing different states of consciousness and the psychedelics are like that experience of like, wow, this is, this experience is possible. You might start seeing all these random old experiences coming up and, and you see sort of like the different Aztec colors, like the mandalas, which are supposed to be sort of this potential vision of your universe. And, and so psychedelics are an experience that you can have, but you need to ingest something external into your system. And there is a debt for that. Always. You put something in your body, there's going to be some kind of uh, a debt. Now meditation is sort of, uh, this is when we, the traditional and very pure like yogis yep. and, and people even like monks would have practiced that the reason they don't drink alcohol and eat meat and have sex and watch TV is because all those things are barriers. They're blocks. So the whole concept is, is that you don't need psychedelics and, and or other, other drugs to have these experiences. If your body is totally, clean and pure of all these other external blocks. Mm, and so you know, the, the, the psychedelics can help you fast track that experience as peak moments every now and then, but meditation can be something you can do just daily. Yeah. Yeah. It can also help you experience that, but it won't be quite as profound often. I mean, the 10 day retreat potentially can have some similar effects. And I'm I actually chatting to someone today who was talking about they're going through like abstaining from alcohol and sex and things like that to start experiencing the byproducts of things like psychedelics and even like cocaine 
to have to be able to experience those sensations without having to ingest anything. So right. the power of the mind and body is huge. Because a lot of those huge. things are actually just causing the mind and body to create chemicals themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a chemical uh, reaction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. So there's, there's it's a juicy little um, little world, and obviously psychedelics and you know, like psilocybin and even MDMA now are, are used only in safe, you know, in measured ways as therapy for a lot of people and as healing yeah. modalities. Mm. So it's a whole new world of working with some of these and a lot of them are traditionally natural medicines. So it's pretty mm. powerful. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, um, comedian I listen to, he's, he's kind of been through, he's like, uh, he was a former addict and so he's like completely sober now. And he, I think he str- he's struggled previously with depression and stuff like that. He's recently been, um, trying ketamine therapy over in mm. the States. Um, so yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? When it's dosed in the right way and in this, in the right environment, um yeah it's interesting yeah no there's i'm really interested in that space and i'm i'm not sure how far behind australia is in in genuinely legalizing some of those uh some of those things but there's some serious uh because particularly some of the, the psychedelics they are derived from naturally grown plants in mm. in the world and so you know if we're eating this like whole foods natural yeah. products yeah they are better for us as opposed to something synthetic. that is you know synthetic made by pharmaceuticals who own it and make a shit ton of money and then they just a lot of them actually are numbing symptoms mm. right so a lot of the pharmaceutical drugs we uh get dosed with mainly often numbing a lot of our symptoms they're not really working on the root cause while yeah. i would argue that a lot of these um medicines are actually helping us to work on the root cause root cause uh, yeah yeah so yeah. i hope we do start moving forward with that because that's um it's a powerful space yeah. So, mate, just before we wrap things up, like I know you're obviously heavily in this space now and outside of the momentum stuff as well. You've got your own coaching and particularly with meditation. So what are some of the the courses or offerings that you have that, that some people that are listening at the moment that are super interested might be able to get in touch with you about? And we'll have all the links to everything in the, the show notes as well, obviously. But what services are you offering at the moment? Yeah, so, I mean, my brand's called Mind Maverick. And the whole concept there is around, you know, the maverick mind being a mind that isn't held back by stress and anxiety and stuck in the old patterns and comparing to what society deems as how we should be doing things. And a maverick, you know, the mind of a maverick is free and creative and, and expansive. And so underneath that, the, I have a meditation course, which is based on the Vedic philosophy that I uh, studied, but also weaving in, Western science and then my way of operating in the modern world to help us recover better and yep. use meditation as a, as a daily um, practice. And it's just a self-guided course. So you can do it in your own time and just uh, watch it that way. And then, you know, if you want to go next level up, then there is the one-on-one mentoring. Where I work with people to a master meditation because just like pretty get the best out of uh, training. If you get someone to teach you how to live properly. Right. Yep. So, uh, I learn the have, foundations properly yeah, yeah you know like i teach you properly so you become yep. self-sufficient because my whole my whole ethos is around making the apps redundant mm-hmm. so, so you don't have to plug into an app every time you don't have to be guided every time so you can meditate anytime anywhere to keep, keep consistent and so yep. the whole idea is that i teach you to become self-sufficient so you don't have to see me again uh, so there's that one-on-one yep. component as well and then one of the things i actually really enjoy doing is also working with forward-thinking businesses and corporates so okay cool they're willing to to that kind of stuff and then shift the whole culture and businesses so that's sort of 
they're the three main ways that I, uh, that I do things. Awesome, man. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to grab all the info from you after we wrap up the, um, the chat now and we'll have it in the show notes. So for everyone who's taken some value from the episode, which I'm sure all of you have, um, don't hesitate to, to, to jump into any of those or even just get in touch with Genoa if you want to learn some more. Um, appreciate you coming on, man. It was really enjoyable. I reckon the listeners would have got a lot out of it. I hope so, mate. It was good chatting. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in to the episode. If you have taken some value, we'd love for you to take a screenshot of this episode um, on your phone right now and just post on your Instagram story, tag myself and Genoa. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback. And a big thanks for tuning in. We'll chat to you again in the next episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast.